Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Not Your Average Debate Show. We're returning to you guys after a brief break for Thanksgiving, you know, had to stuff our faces full of food. It's quite yummy and, uh, you know, a good question for me. Ryan, since you are known in some circles as the vegetable boy, uh, what's your go-to Thanksgiving food? So before he answers that question, let's just let our listeners know why he's the vegetable boy. This man will walk around with a clear plastic bag full of vegetables at like a party or out on the street. He's just walking around with vegetables. It's it's something. The favorite story that my fiance loves to tell about him is uh, him and a couple of people came up to Boston for the night. We went out partying till like two, three o'clock in the morning, just going crazy. And then it's probably like nine, ten o'clock in the morning. Everybody's back at my apartment. This dude opens up his backpack, reaches in, pulls out a cucumber, a bell pepper, eats them raw without cutting them up, and then pulls out a bag of tuna, starts eating that raw, and then pulls out baby carrots and starts eating that raw. Just like straight like out of the backpack, 10 a.m. after a night of partying. So, aunt's, and Natalie's aunt knows him as the cucumber boy because he's, he showed up at our Memorial Day party and was just gnawing on cucumbers. Like whole, not cut up cucumbers, just okay. a whole fucking right, cucumber. Not, not, not to, not to it's go inconvenient to carry around a cut up vegetables it's inconvenient but all right to thanksgiving to thanksgiving vegetable boy what would you pick as as the go-to thanksgiving food for you so i'm gonna throw a a loop here um we did a pretty non-traditional thanksgiving this year that's not a holiday where we're like we got to have the turkey and and vegetables and all that so what we did was uh tacos um which was pretty fantastic so this year uh down now this is horrible tacos yeah no, it was it was great. What's wrong with tacos? It's Thanksgiving. You only get one day a year to eat turkey with cranberry sauce. I mean, well, go. you can eat it any day of the year. It doesn't doesn't need to be Thanksgiving. Yeah, but turkey sucks. <laughs> I only want it one day a year. Exactly. You're and crazy. It's usually cheaper the week after, actually, because you know they put everything on clearance because nobody wants it anymore. Okay, all right. So you're going so you're going tacos as your go-to no. Thanksgiving meal? All right. My my traditional go-to as far as the vegetables if we're, if we're sticking or there. food, right? It will just like go-to Thanksgiving food. I my um my grandma passed on a recipe for sweet potato rolls. They're like little crescent rolls uh made from sweet potato. Potato, phenomenal. I ate like 20 of them this year. They're amazing. Okay. That I sounds respect. delicious. That does it. sound delicious. And you substituted that for tacos. Don't know why. No, we, we made those too. We had them with the tacos. He just said he subbed the turkey for the tacos. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Okay. McMahon, what about you? Go to Thanksgiving. So I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is hands down my favorite holiday. Um, my plate looks like this. Well, my first plate, mind you. You're overthinking is, it. Just what's the number one food for you on Thanksgiving? Oh, uh, so my aunt makes this really great pineapple dish that's like baked pineapple, and it is unbelievably good. You're giving like, this fucking guy over here shit for eating tacos on Thanksgiving. You're having pineapple, not like baked pineapple. Come on, dude, knock it till you try it. That stuff is amazing. And let me get to my plate. It's More got tacos. turkey on it. Turkey, ham, stuffing, sweet potatoes. This pineapple baked nonsense that is delicious. Six or seven dinner rolls. And then after that, like four, five, six slices of pie. Jesus Christ, dude! Didn't have that much in stocks for the wedding, but I got to go pick that up tomorrow. We'll see. Yeah, that that is coming up. Make sure make sure you're slim and thick. Um, I so I'm gonna say my go to like top top Thanksgiving food hands down stuffing, like a good stuffing. There's nothing that beats it. There's nothing better. 
and it stuffs you because it's stuffing. Although this year I got done dirty with the three helpings that I had. I was feeling quite ill after the fact, but it is still my favorite go-to Thanksgiving food. So are you a in the turkey stuffing guy? Uh, no, not really. Um, Absolutely not. At least like my family doesn't do that. I know there's some that do, um, I, but we just kind of make it separate. Here's the thing. That's if, why it's if you, stuffing. Here's the thing. If you put the stuffing in the turkey, by the time the stuffing is cooked, you've overcooked the turkey. Yeah, true, right? Like you kind of you're you're putting yourself in a little catch twenty two situation there. So yeah, I go no no stuffing the turkey with actual stuffing. Just make the stuffing separately, but it's still delicious. One more question before we leave Thanksgiving: Is it your favorite holiday as far as food goes? I don't know that I have like a favorite holiday based off of food. Truthfully, I've never really thought about it from that perspective. Well, Easter. we do turkey and ham, which just elevates it to like a whole nother level. Um, but the food is just the food and the fact that I don't have to give people gifts. Like, like someone in my family, like we do like you draw names and just like, oh, here's a gift because I've had to that you probably won't use. But it's just like a stress free, no expectations, sit, watch football, watch soccer this year, um, watch basketball. It was like this was just great. It's a great holiday. Okay. On the topic of soccer there, you know. USA going on to the next round in the World Cup. So for those who are listening, at least at this point in time, you know, who knows if you listen to this two months from now, whatever that may be, uh, World Cup's happening. USA just got moved on. So so good things there. You know, we all live in the USA. I will say my secondary team, Portugal, they're also making it too, which is nice. But uh, with the World Cup going on, you know, I think that poses a very interesting topic. So Ryan, would you like to introduce us to the first formal topic for tonight? Yeah, so our first formal topic for today, uh, the debate will be between you, Jason, and Kyle. Um, is Qatar doing well as the World Cup host? Are they doing a good job? Uh, and what is the perception of them as a host? I know McMahon is fired up about this one, so Kyle, would you like to kick it off? I don't want to say I'm fired up about it. I'm fired up at how one-sided people have made this. Um, so I have a problem... When I don't have a problem when politics enter sports, I think sports has, is a great platform to deliver a message. I have a problem when politics overtakes sports. Um, and that's what kind of fired me up was we've had great soccer being played and you turn on the news and they're not talking about the soccer. They're talking about the politics behind the soccer. And that's what fires me up because we're missing such a wonderful tournament. Because the policies have overshadowed it. Because like I said, it's a great platform to deliver a message. But as soon as it starts overtaking the game itself, I have an issue with that. So I want to speak to why it, that's my, what drove me to be kind of fired up about this. I do think if you take the politics out of it, there's a lot to not like as far as how they treat women in the LGBT community. I understand that. Definitely things that to not like. But if you look at – take that out and look at Qatar, the World Cup host – I think they've actually done. They've actually put on a very good event. You you look at what you're able to do in the country of Qatar. So Qatar, or however you say, Qatar, Qatar, is about the size of Connecticut, a country. So it's small. So if you were a fan there, you've actually been able to leave one stadium and go to another and watch the afternoon session, which you almost could not do in any other venue. Because think about it: if you have the United States, some games are in LA, some games are in Boston, some games are in Dallas. You're picking a city and you're stuck there, no matter who's playing. You have the opportunity, Qatar to leave one stadium, go to the next, and watch two or three of your favorite teams play. Um, second, think about the massive amount of audience that watched the United States-England game. It was over 15 million continuous viewers. Second 
most watched game. Prize pool this year, $440 billion is going to be handed out um, to teams that made it to the knockout stage or whatever. Um, because of that, the United States women's national team is actually getting a bonus. They're getting each player on the team is going to get $330,000 because the United States advanced the knockout stage. Um, these games have been drama filled. These groups are so evenly paired that it's out of this world. The amount of drama like today was crazy. Tunisia over France, almost a goal differential, yellow card to advance, like who had the least amount of yellow cards. The drama has been out of control. The soccer has been brilliant. Politics aside, the soccer has been brilliant. Okay. I, I So I don't disagree with you on that front. I think the event itself has been fantastic up until this point, right? You, you just kind of talked about some of the drama and the games and the pool pri- and the prize pool and all that good stuff. And I agree with you there. I, I think all that is good. Um, I do, though, think that that is not directly related to Qatar or Qatar, right? I, you know, Ryan, can you fact check us on how to actually pronounce this? But um, I, I don't think that's a direct correlation with them being the host. And the debate topic is more along the lines of like, are they as hosts? You know, how are they, how are they doing and what's the perception of it? So I think to host the event, yes, they've gotten to a good point, but there's so much negativity around it. And I know you say separate politics from the game. It's hard to do that when the politics of it all have strongly influenced what is happening with the games to a certain extent. And what I mean by that, you know, great example, you have teams that couldn't even wear, you know, a, a multicolored shirt, like warm-up shirt, because uh, Qatar that felt that it was too representative of the LGBTQ community. Um, you have fans who weren't let into stadiums because they had rainbow-colored attire on, and Qatar didn't want that in the stadiums. They didn't want that potentially being on TV and being seen. Uh, so they're being very restrictive with what they're actually allowing people and the teams participating in the tournament to do. So that's kind of issue number one. It's you're asking the world to come to you to host this event, and obviously you want your culture and your norms and your society to be respected and showcased in some ways, but you also have to understand that you're asking the world to come to you you can't force what you believe on them and have everybody else kind of you know reciprocate that and, and abide by that you have to be a little understanding in this time right that's that, so, that's at least my opinion on it and i have one more point to make um the second thing that i think that they really messed up on and and this is you know again thinking about the perception of them as a host and this to some people is not a big deal. And, and I myself admit, not a real big deal to me, but I can understand why it frustrated a ton of people who are going and paying money to go. This is you tell everybody, yep, you're going to be able to have alcohol at the games. And then two days before the event starts, you say, actually, no, just kidding. No alcohol will be served unless you pay for the $19,000 corporate ticket. That is the only way that you could have alcohol at the game was paying for a $19,000 ticket. So the regular you and I going, we couldn't get alcohol. So I find it very hard to say, okay, you, again, invited the world. You told people that they're going to be able to do X, Y, and Z when they come to this. You then are reneging on a lot of that and making kind of the experience less enjoyable for some people. So that's another problem I have with them as a host and why I think that they haven't necessarily done a great job, especially in the eyes of the world. So I have a real issue with the alcohol thing because we're going to an Arab nation for the first time. Um, they're very – they pretty much ban the sale of alcohol in everyday life. We should be, when we're traveling to these countries, it's expected you respect their norms. One of the biggest norms is you can't buy alcohol. Or, like, the sale of alcohol is severely limited. And I think not being selling at the game, I think Cutter's been very flexible on moving off of the no alcohol. Because, remember, they set up very specific fan zones throughout the country where you can go and purchase alcohol. 
during the event, just not at the games. So to say that they've crypt like like kind of held people hostage in their ability to consume alcohol, I think isn't fair because they've been very to their extent very flexible in just setting up these fan zones. So and it's that it's less them like holding people hostage on the no alcohol thing. It's more that you announce the policy to the world that yep we're going to allow this so a lot of people you know book tickets and stuff and whatever and whether or not they were doing that to begin with they, they this wasn't a policy they ever really wanted they, it was pushed on them because you know but then don't in the united then states don't and in europe drinking is a huge thing just just from the from the get stay strong on it don't waver right like that the, like if they from the get-go said hey guys like yep you're coming to the world cup um no alcohol right like just from the get-go said no Totally different story, but you said yes, and then you changed that two days before, right? Like that's the problem with that. And again, it's alcohol at the end of the day, right? Like you should be able to have fun without having any, you know, alcoholic consumption. But to a lot of people, they think of, you know, football and, and in that environment with a drink, right? And and that's like their fun. That's how they enjoy it. That's how they remember it. So that that's my problem with it from that perspective. Well, my retort to that is, you know, we just criticized them. For not accepting our cultures where so in the arab world and in islam things that we believe that should always be legal aren't legal lgbtq rights the rights for women human rights like things that we expect to be everyday norms aren't it's unfortunate but that's the way it is so we criticize them for not allowing us to push our views on them wearing the rainbow bracelets or the armbands um wearing the, the the rainbow colors out and all those things but that now we when they try and push their views on us we're also criticizing them so we're trying to do one and prevent them from doing the same thing so it's kind of like hey we're trying to do this push our values on you but at the same time when you try and push our values on ourselves you're getting mad we're going to get mad at you as well so we're, we're basically trying to do one thing and stopping them from doing the same so we're basically being hypocritical yeah it, you definitely could have that view on it but i i still think the majority of the world and the perception of it is you invited everybody here. You wanted everybody to come here and then you're changing things right before the deadline, right? Like I, I think that, I think that truly is the issue is you decided one way. There's not a person in the world that traveled to the world cup simply because they could buy yeah, a beer at the stadium. Uh, fucking obviously, I, I, obviously that's not a thing, but it's just an example of like kind of being poor on the hosting aspect. And then secondary to that, I think the two biggest things that we haven't really touched on so far, um, I'm, I, I'll, I'll say three. Number one is they had to massively bribe the FIFA committee, you know, how what, over a decade ago to get the hosting for this World Cup event. Uh, otherwise, it wouldn't have been a location that was chosen. And then you have the dude who they uh, bribed, which was, I think it was Sepp Blatter, came out. Um, maybe it was like a week, week and a half ago, and literally was like, yeah, honestly, hosting it here was a mistake. We shouldn't have accepted and, and done it here, right? So that's that's big thing number one, like a lot of bribery, and that's something that we've heard has in the early games behind closed door for the Qatari national team. Um, the story was that refs were being bribed in those teams to, to kind of beef up the Qatari national team. Second thing that I have a problem with, and I think a lot of people do too, is a lot of people paid to live in the fan village. And that's like, has always been a big thing. Every World Cup was the fan village, was a great place to be, a lot of activity, very lively. Um, the fan village is literally rows and rows of heavy plastic tents in the middle of the desert with like not even fans. And they're making people pay $200 a night to live in that, right? Like that's, you again, had over a decade to prepare. You built beautiful stadiums. Like I will say that the, 
the stadiums that they put in place and the infrastructure that they put in place with like their metro systems and stuff for this absolutely beautiful like they now have a very flexible working metro system that's going to be fantastic for you know decades to come but you failed on the fan village aspect so the fan village thing has been completely blown out of it was one piece of the fan village the fan village was done with the exception of one piece that did was supposed to house paying fans and it wasn't ready and they were all offered free refunds they were all given refunds yes it's unfortunate yes that was a failure but you're you're summing up the entire fan village and the entire fan experience into one small location that wasn't good. And that the other thing is we have no issue criticizing Qatar when it benefits ourselves. We, we have no issue criticizing their human rights, criticizing how they treat women, criticizing their LGBTQ rights, which are, is all fair criticism. But then we've empowered this exact same government for the last couple decades. It, and to come out now and start criticizing them well, at the same time, they're paying us billions and billions of dollars for U.S. missiles, U.S. defense. They house U.S. troops on Qatari soil. Is It's hypocritical. I mean, we've empowered this government that we say suppresses people by giving them U.S. missiles, by giving them U.S. defense systems, by giving them U.S. troops that, that have air bases there. So to just turn around and say, hey, we don't believe in what Qatari, what the Qatari government's doing and how they treat people, which is completely fair criticism. Is still hypocritical because we've empowered this government for decades. Yeah, no, very good point. Um, I think, again, two different lights, right? Like looking at them as a strategic military ally compared to, you know, what they're doing to host the World Cup. I, 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 you no, I, you know, I, I criticize I the government and then say, hey, we're going to beef you up so it fits our need, but we still don't like you. But because you, we need you. Whatever, but, but now it's, you know, it fits our narrative. That's unfortunately that, the way of the world that, like, world politics That's exactly works, how the U.S. works. What do like you that, mean? That's just how it works. We and, used to and, give and, weapons to Saddam Hussein. And I know that, but I, what I'm saying is, and what bothers me about this event is the politics have overtaken the soccer, even though we've had no issue supporting this government to this point. It's just now, hey, the world has its eyes on it. We're going to join in the criticism. And now, think about it, If Iran had beat the U.S. yesterday... Thank God they didn't, but if they did, the narrative would be that all the noise leading up to the game distracted the team, that the U.S. Federation removing the flag distracted the team, that everyone talking about the politics behind the game distracted the team, and that's wrong. Again, like the, the point that you made is correct, but I think the world is always going to look at it in different lines. There's looking at in the political strategy lens and military strategy lens. And then there's looking at as you guys are inviting the world to your home. How have you done facilitating that? And you made some good points. The event so far has been a great event. The prize pool is massive, but there's still have been a lot of failings, a lot of knee jerk reactions to how they are handling fans there that I think, like you said, right, distracts from the so actual soccer and football being played. From everything I've heard, the fans are having a great time because they're leaving stadiums and going to another game, which is this is the only place you can do it is in this country, which is cool. And again, it's the politics aside, it's been a great event. The politics are troubling. There's a lot of things I don't like, but this is not a political event. This is a soccer cup. This is the World Cup, and the soccer has been spectacular. The, the stadium's spectacular. Your ability to go to multiple games, spectacular. The drama off the charts. It's been a great event. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. I feel like you guys could go on for a long time. Uh, fact checked. It's pronounced Gethar. Um, we don't have two of those sounds okay, in Google. English. Okay, Google. 
We don't have two of those sounds in the English language. Uh, Qatar is fine. Uh, that's how we're using it, uh, not cutter. Um, as far as... Honestly, I still can't believe people actually call it cutter. Like, where <laughs> does that look like cutter? I don't know how people... Pr- I just pronounce what I see on TV and then eventually gets ingrained in my head. Yep, that's pretty much the best way to do it. They usually know what they're doing there. Um, just two things we didn't touch base on. So uh, a Qatari official came out and said... Um, Four or five hundred migrant workers died in the construction of those stadiums. Uh, based off embassy statistics, it's about ten times that high, but that's still ten times what they acknowledged before this. Um, so there was a lot of people. They, they have a system called kafala where uh, workers would come in from foreign countries and then they would seize their passports uh, so they couldn't work. Uh, that's been since um, outlawed because of public outcry on that. And uh, just one more thing real quick. So the 1936 Olympics is like one of the most bell marks as far as um, sports and politics intersecting. That was the one in Berlin uh, where Jesse Owens um, took home a bunch of gold medals and beat all of Germany's best sprinters. And that was seen as a reflection of like the U.S. and and the free world standing up uh, against you know, Hitler and his power and all that. And obviously we had a world war right after that, but like sports are part of the narrative and there's no getting around that. And I said it, sports is a great launching pad to have great discussion. And like I said, a lot of this discussion should happen because of the way the Qatari government treats certain people like the LGBTQ community, um, women and other human rights violations. Like they're, it's absolutely awful. My biggest issue is, shouldn't take overtake the game and the discussion can be there it's a great launching pad but as soon as it overtakes the game we've got we've done too much as far as if you're getting your sports news from cnn don't expect it to be about sports okay Um, it's not even that you watch yes you if you went on espn.com yesterday their headline was about the irani united states political rivalry overshadowing the game that was the headline all right last topic uh, out of the original starter Pokemons, which one are you pe- uh, picking? Excuse me, and why? I was trying to say Pikachu. Which one are you picking, and why? Pikachu is not a starter Pokemon, sir. And I I'm told you I don't know how this works. First I'm of all, yesterday in yellow, you started with Pikachu, but whatever. Okay, in yellow, but in the majority of games, that was not the case. So, are we going off of McMahon? The original three being Charmander, Bulbasaur, and Squirtle. Absolutely. All right, I I know I would I would say Squirtle. Me personally. Um, Personally, adorable little bastard. Uh, you can surf with him and ride him across oceans, which is always fantastic. And if we think about actual playing the game, Squirtle guarantees you get by Brock pretty easily. You have a little bit of difficulty with Misty, but you get a grass-type Pokemon somewhere because that's all there is when you start the game. And then from there, kind of smooth sailing. So I, in my notes, it's funny. I, I put it down in little notes here just so I had some things to talk about. Is I had First of all, the Pokemon I would pick is Charmander because he's – Ultimately, the stronger choice as the game progresses, I believe. Um, and Charizard is an absolute beast. But Fair. I yeah. have what I have noted is if I pick Charmander, he struggles early versus Brock and Misty, but scales well through the game. And I said if I don't pick Charmander, I pick Squirtle because early game, very strong versus Brock, and Blastoise is just awesome. Um, but to me, it is Charmander, and Bulbasaur is just never considered. Like It's, I don't it's know. unfortunate because I feel like Bulbasaur like, gets a very bad rap. Just He's because... useless. 
Well, he gets you through Brock, and that's it. He's got nothing else for you. No, no, he gets you through Missy pretty well too. Um, and then I'm trying to think further down the game. Does well against Electric type. Fire, you're screwed. Um, I'm trying to think what else was there. Flying, you are screwed against flying there too. And that's the problem because in in the Pokemon League, and as you progress in the Pokemon League, Bulbasaur and Venusaur is just like completely useless. He just gets destroyed. Where Blastoise and Charizard are really powerful. And Charizard, I believe, ultimately is the better choice. Yeah, no, I agree. Late, late game Charizard is is a very strong, although, right, if we're talking fire versus water, you know, Blastoise counters Charizard, right? So, but I do agree, yeah. Charizard is very strong as long as you're not going against a high-powered, uh, you know, high-leveled water-type Pokemon. Yeah, and, and I just think Charizard, like, against a lot of the gym leaders later in the game, just either counters them completely or isn't a negative. Where, like, later in the game, you go to, um, you face the fire. I don't remember the gym leader anymore which is really unfortunate but where you're on the cinder island or whatever and blastoise is just completely useless and you get annihilated by um is like a flare a flareon or something it's just like oh my god <laughs> fire blast dead. so would you say you typically you would gravitate more towards fire versus water type pokemon or is i would say if you'd gravitate towards across all the games so if in blue red or yellow i well not yellow but in blue and red, I'd start Charmander. Silver and gold, I'd start the Cyndaquil. Um, Ruby and Sapphire, I'd start the um, Chimchar, I think it is. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think most... it was Torchic, wasn't it? Uh, it is Torchic, yeah. Where, who's Chimchar? Which one's that? I have that? no idea. Oh, I haven't, that's, I haven't that's played Pearl like and the, Diamonds. That's I haven't Pearl and played Diamonds. like the last four or five. Yeah, yeah. Torchic is um, Ruby and Sapphire. So yeah, I do gravitate more towards the Fire Pokemon. And then if I don't pick a fire Pokemon, it's I am then going to the water Pokemon. I almost never, I don't think in any of the games would ever take the leaf Pokemon. Um, mostly because I don't think they're very good. Like I said, Bulbasaur is not very good. Um, and so I've tried it in like definitely mixed results on how good it does. And I think too, it also depends like, you know, beyond just the starter Pokemon, how well do you build out your roster, right? Like, how flexible is your roster to handle the gyms that you encounter and, and stuff like that? The other thing, there's a lot of strong, like, water Pokemon to be had and, like, grass-type Pokemon to be had later in the game. Where, like, Charizard is, like, the ultimate fire Pokemon outside of, like... No, that's, that's, a, that's a very good point, right? Because I think the only strong, strong fire, and, and this is me, right? I know there's... Right, you have the Nine Tails, you have Arcanine, which is a strong fire type Pokemon, I think. Um, and then Moltres, yes. Like that's really it, at least off the top of my head. Whereas you're exactly. right, with water, there is a lot that you can get that can suffice and can be a strong kind of component of the water within your party. Exactly. You can get like a polywhirl or something, like which I always always you went expect. for the I would get for the polywhirl to get to the polyrath. Um, those things are just like an absolute tank or even like um, a, you could get a Gyarados, not, like, not easily, but you can get, a you Gyarados. could get a Gyarados. Like I said, there's water Pokemon we had grass. I mean, grass to me is just like the type. I just never really default to want. I mean, if I'm filling out a roster, I'm getting a dragon Pokemon. I have Char Charizard. I usually have like a Polyrath and then I have an Alakazam. I always have to get a psychic in there. Never in my roster. Is it? Am I making space for a grass-type Pokemon? Yeah, I, I think the only time I ever did is if I needed it to beat out a certain gym. Otherwise, I, I too, kind of stayed away. I always liked having a flying-type in there as well. I feel like they were could be pretty strong. 
Um, and obviously, if we're thinking about in-game, being able to fly around the map was a big benefit. Exactly. And then you look at, like, I mean, I played all the games very similarly as far as how I constructed a roster. Like, flying is absolutely, you have to have some kind of flying Pokemon, especially early on so you can, like, teleport places or something, which sometimes can help you. But I construct my rosters almost identical. Like I said, it's Psychic, Dragon, Fire, um, some kind of water Pokemon, and then it's, like, a free spot for your legendary Pokemon that's in there at 6. Um, there's just no space for grass. I don't care for it. It doesn't really have a lot of use. Um, okay. I can't even think of a good grass Pokemon that's worth having, to be honest. All right, what's your go-to legendary Pokemon? Um, which game? Just if you had to pick a legendary Pokemon, which one are you taking? Ooh. I, I mean, I preferred Mew. I thought Mew was, like, the cute little devil that was super strong. Um, I guess it depends on the game. The original game, if I could get my hands on Mew, I'm going Mew or Mewtwo. Um, the second game, Silver and Gold, Lugia without a doubt. Um... And then what was the, they had the the legendary dogs in that game? So probably Entei. Ooh, loved Entei. Entei was great. I personally like Suicune a lot, um, but I would I I think I agree with you. My overall favorite legendary Pokemon was probably um, you just said the name, the bird one. Uh, Lugia. Yes, Lugia. I think Lugia. Oh, was, Lugia was a beast. I think Lugia overall was my favorite legendary Pokemon across all the games. But I would also say um, Kyogre from Sapphire oh. also very good beast um uh what from sapphire i'm like what was the other one groudon also stud i mean there's been a lot of legendary like really great legendary pokemon but i i don't know if it's because i'm just a pokemon nerd um you, you're definitely giving off the pokemon nerd vibes i'm not gonna lie i mean i probably am too but that's but okay. like the backstory of lugia and like kind of like the pokemon lore behind lugia also just makes lugia very attractive great movie great movie too if you never exactly great movie and just how it kind of intertwines with the legendary birds um Again, giving off super Pokemon nerd vibes, but just if you look at the overall kind of the backstories like of Entei too, like the movie that went with Entei, like it just made you want to love them and want them. Yeah, you can talk about this off pod. You guys are talking. It might as well be a different language. I have no idea what you're talking about. I haven't followed a single thing. We're we're done. We're done. <laughs> okay. All right. It's like note, get me out of here. Please make it stop. Literally wants it to be done. Um, all right, well, on that note, we'll, we'll wrap here. Um, be on the lookout, guys. If you haven't followed the Facebook, follow the Facebook. I'm going to be launching a little, uh, you know, kind of competition giveaway thing on there this week um, before I head out for my wedding. So be on the lookout for that. Otherwise, thank you for listening and catch us next week. Boy, yeah, he's getting married next week, boys and girls. I know. It's going to be awesome. He minus 10 Wedding days. pod. Woo! Well, hey, we're I, gonna did do say, one. I did say we should like, I, like get like a microphone and just put it in the room when we're all just in there drinking the night before and see what we can create. That'd be kind of fun. Drink the night before. We can drink the night before, the, the 10 minutes before, the whole day before. Oh, it's going to be a great weekend. Listen, I'm getting to my wedding sober, sir. Anyway, we're going to end there. Katie, I don't promise that.